Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Today the eagle is back. <laughs> he's not landing, but he's back. Talking to Greg beforehand, he is has been thinking about experience and relating it to what did you call it a learning theory or a it's called speech act theory and oh spe- okay no, I don't know where I got learning theory I don't even know what that is so maybe break it down for us why are you still thinking about this well, how does it relate to this theory and how is it going to help us understand this topic a little better I, I'm still thinking about it because I think we've we're kind of skimming the surface and we're kind of, uh, you know, trying to get some, some sense of the contours of, you know, what, what might experience be and why, why is the situation with the eagle, uh, you know, why am I questioning that and what are other more valid ways of looking at experience or what other other experiences that are more valid and how would we know that? And so I did some work, you know, a little while ago um, examining my own experience, what I've made of it how to kind of break it down and assess it. And I think, it, I think it has a lot of bearing on what we're discussing here, and I think it might bring some clarity, at least to where I'm coming from. You said your experience. Are you talking about a specific experience? Would you say that all experiences are held equally? Or, and now I'm poking the bear, would no. you say that, certain exper- <laughs> that experiences with God are different than normal experiences? I'm I'm kind of saying that they are that there's a difference there. I think there are similar and different. So they're similar in the sense that you know they take place in space and time. They have all the markings and all of the kind of indicators of of other types of experience. You know, so if you look at uh, I may have mentioned uh, Blaise Pascal's uh, experience, uh, which he uh, of God, which happened uh, some. Late night in November, sixteen forty-five, sixteen fifty-four, something like that. I always get the, the years mixed up, but you know, he 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 wrote down the start time and the end time, and he wrote down a lot of things that that happened. While the account that he wrote is still not sort of this sort of step by step of, you know, God came. There was a knock at the door, and I opened it, and it was God, and da da da, and he came in, and he sat down, and you know, I'm not trying to be facetious by by making this seem simplistic, but just to say that. He gave us something and was able to give us some aspects of what anyone would categorize from any experience, like somebody coming to your door and for tea or whatever and knocking at the door, et cetera. But also there were many differences and, and kind of a lot of kind of obscure and less clear references were made. So we th- but we've thrown this word, just, this just on a minute, we've thrown this word yeah. experience around a lot. Is there mm-hmm. a simple, and some people might think we're getting... I'm getting way too meta here. But mm-hmm. is there a simple definition of the word experience? I think we hear the word experience and it's like air. Everyone knows what air is. But I'm I'm assuming here when we say experience, we're just saying something that I perceive is happening to me or other people. Is like a, is there a simple like one or two sentence definition that everyone would understand and agree to? I don't think that there is. And I I'm happy to try to bring out mine. And I guess, too, it depends on what kind of experience we're talking about, right? There's this idea of sort of everyday experience. You know, I, I rode to work today. 
I mean, this is literally what happened. I rode to work today. I struggled with the door. About three times out of four, I struggle getting my bicycle through the door because it's just, it's annoying and it's a heavy door and um, whatever. And then I picked up my bike and walked it up the three flights of stairs, grumbling to myself, you know, about the fact that why don't I have a better lock so I can just lock it downstairs? Those types of things, you know, and those were all whatever. Like it might have, those experiences might have become more significant. Let's say if I was walking with my bike and, and I tripped and I fell and I broke my leg. Well, that's a big deal, you know, but it's still not the same type of experience we might be talking about when we're talking about experiencing God, right? Something about that, that sort of claim is, is a, it's in a different category, right? It's not just important, but it's somehow other. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's part of what I want to kind of focus at or, or take a look at. Um, what I have done is I've said, I, I think there are three components to experience. So external events or states of affairs that I can recognize and evaluate and I can say that, yeah, these things really happened or something was really there. My own action of recognizing and evaluating these, you know, external states of affairs and my responses, right, um, to what I've recognized and evaluated. So if one of those things doesn't happen, it wasn't an experience? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a tricky one, right? That's the whole... I just if the tree falls, sorry. <laughs> no, I just I was jotting some notes as you were talking, and then that yeah, that was like, wait a minute, do you have to have all three? Well, I think you do in order to 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 have that sense within yourself. In other words, something might happen. I might I might have been riding to work, and I don't know. There was a uh, here I am being you know facetious, right? There was a burning bush there, burning but not consumed in a sort of Moses type of way. Well, if I if I rode right by it and it was on my right, and I happened to glance to the left at that time because there was a squirrel about to run out in front of my bike. I wouldn't have seen it. Did I experience it? Well, no, I can't really say that I did. Did it happen? Well, in this case, we're, in this fictitious example, we're saying that it did happen. But I didn't see it, right? I couldn't. So it took place, which is my number one, but my number two and my number three, I don't have a number two. I didn't see it. So I have no response to it, right? Okay. So, yeah, I think all three of them need to be there. Um, I'm not sure how you have, let's say, you know, you, you, an event where something takes place, you do recognize it and you recognize it, you know, in, in more or less the, same, the way that it is. You know, sometimes I look down the street and I think, oh, gee, there's a car pulling up when in fact, no, that's the garage door opening based on the way the garage door is set up and it looks different. And, and then I look again and, oh, okay. How are experiences of God different? Well, I, th I think... I think that we're having to ask different questions, right? That's my hunch. We're having to ask different questions about the situation and different factors are involved. So for instance, um, let me just, I'm cycling back through a couple of documents here that I hope I can, um, yeah, make sense of for you. But I, th I think as far as I can see, um, there's probably three or four different um, um, elements that go together in terms of experience that we have to kind of work with in order to, um, yeah. So 
if we're talking about stuff about God, I mean, I, maybe this is, this is the before or in front of your question. I would say there are four categories here. First of all, the availability. Like, how available are these types of experience? Second is the reliability. Are they susceptible to being misread? Are they difficult to validate? Third is the purpose. What's the role of, say, experience generally? What sort of role should that play uh, in believing in the Christian God? And then what's ultimately the value? What, what types of experiences are valuable and how much importance and what type of importance should we attribute to them? Okay, I think I'm getting this. So I wrote, I wrote these down. I don't usually do this when we're talking, but for some reason I did today. So, okay. so okay. So if you take the the squirrel and the burning bri- the burning bush, right? In terms of the first three, I see how that fits or doesn't fit. So then you take the eagle and you run the eagle through these other four in terms of relating to God, and you are able to c- come to a similar yes or no. Well, I, I guess. The, the, the squirrel and the eagle both are things that they're out there, yes. I kind of more or less, or the, I guess the burning bush and the, and the eagle, the things that are out there, let's say, the things that I can, I, I can more or less perceive as they are. I mean, if, if I literally ever came across this sort of burning bush thing, I, I think I'd probably have to look three or four times or take two or three minutes to satisfy myself that I wasn't being deluded somehow. And then, yeah, my responses right? How I've recognized and how I've evaluated. Those things are all, I mean, that, that's a little trickier. Now, where are you getting all these things? Are these things tied into this thing that you mentioned that I can't remember what it's called? Or are these your assertions? Or like, where is this coming from? No, this is, this is my, this isn't tied into Speech Act at all. This is more my thinking on, first of all, the first three are sort of experience generally. Like, what, what is experience generally? And then the next four that I read, the availability, the reliability, the purpose, and the value are more about specific exceptional experiences, let's say. So, anytime that someone's making a claim that God's involved, I would consider that to be an exceptional experience, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes the claim is as simple as, I was out, you know, shopping, and during the course of my shopping, I met someone. And I met someone, <clears throat> this person that I met, rather, uh, I've never met before. And strangely enough, we, we, we struck up a conversation while we were both waiting uh, in, in line. And then, you know, uh, it was interesting. And, and then, you know, unfortunately, uh, this person left and, and then I came out and uh, actually their car was parked next to mine and their bag had split open. And so we, I started helping them with all their stuff and it was just a total mess, but we, we continued talking and we had what, you know, turned out to be like a 15, 20 minute conversation as we both, you know, were in line and then Wait, cleaning up. Wait, you just made up this up or this really happened? I'm making this up. Oh. I'm making this up. This is totally made up. <laughs> okay. You know, so between sh- uh, waiting in line and, and tidying up a broken bag and then lingering over the conversation, we had enough time to have this really cool conversation. And this person is somebody who used to go to church and, uh, you know, we ended up talking about God. It was turned into a quite a deep conversation. And I, I was just really amazed to have this deep of a conversation with a total stranger in a context where, you know, it, you can't have conversations like that in a grocery store. It just doesn't happen. And yet all these factors went together. And that person might say, that was God, right? That, that was God. And, and I would say that's a different sort of claim from the eagle claim, 
That's a different sort of claim. The, the idea that, that God brought this person into your path or yeah. brought you into their path. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm on the one hand, I'm, I'm happy for somebody to say that. And I'm also happy to say, you know, I don't know, but it doesn't really matter to me. Right. I think the key thing that we're getting out of this when, uh, so when I was talking about these four points related to exceptional experiences, the fourth one is value. Availability, reliability, purpose, and value. I think purpose is also one to kind of cue on, but value is really one to cue on. And the difference, I think, between having this encounter and this then this long discussion with this person through grocery through a grocery store lineup meeting, and so let's say the eagle is, what is the value I'm attributing to these things? And I think what I was trying to get at before with the eagle is that it seems to me that people attribute a tremendous value they use to the eagle, and they use the eagle almost as a sign or a validation. Whereas the encounter and discussion with the person from the grocery store turns into almost, I don't know, it's, it's an identification, right? That, yes, God is at work, and God is present in the world. God is interested in certain sorts of things happening. It's much more specific, and it's much less open to somebody saying, for example, so the way I see, I don't know, God's love or God's grace or God's wrath is the right way to see it. And you might say like, well, where'd you get that? You just had a conversation with somebody and they may have agreed with you, but that doesn't mean you're right. Whereas when somebody strings together, um, you know, I was, I've been thinking about God's love or grace or wrath and I go out on this hike and it's a wonderful day and I'm, I've been praying to God and looking for, you know, help to understand whether I'm right or wrong on some of this stuff. And I'm really kind of working hard to work through it. And then this eagle appeared and it, it, it was as though everything, <clears throat> you know, the eagle actually coincided with this sense that, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of soaring up there and I'm really kind of breaking free of some of these old bonds and these old problems and my new ways of seeing God's love or God's grace or God's wrath, those are right. Do you see where I'm going here? I think I do see where you're going. It makes, yeah, it's much easier for me to stomach or to agree or to, like when we've talked about the ego previously, I just feel like, I don't know, for for me and the way my mind works, this puts somewhat of like a framework or some... This clarifies the nuance between the two. Okay. Because I think I was hearing you just say, come on, God doesn't work in eagles. That's ridiculous. But when, you, but when, it's, when, it, when it's run through kind of a filter like this, mm-hmm. it makes it, there's probably a word out there that explains this. But in other words, I feel like by having these four criteria or qualifications, sure. it makes it easier to compare two different things. Right. Versus what I was hearing you say before, like I said, is subjectively just like, give me a break. God doesn't, God doesn't launch eagles into the sky for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I'm a little skeptical about that idea anyway, but, but what I'm really concerned about, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I don't know if God does that or doesn't do that. And in some ways, I... I'm happy to be agnostic. I'm happy to have somebody say something and me just say, oh, that's interesting. 
the rub for you is the value they're placing on the eagle, not that they saw the eagle or that they saw it was thought it was God. Exactly. That they are using that to then justify or validate or confirm or disconfirm. That in other words, they're attributing it's it's almost like the experience they're 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 taking from the experience something that it doesn't have the density to offer. And therefore they're gonna potentially end up in a place that doesn't make sense or is based on false premises. Yeah, but not only that, they're going to be pushing that agenda on me and on other people. And I've experienced that, and that is not pleasant. Right? And you come back and you try to engage with somebody. You know, again, I've brought up this example many times of this, you know, woman in her 60s who was very persuasive and energetic came to Libri and began trying to during a conversation with myself and another student very long conversation trying to persuade us that her way of seeing things was correct and at first it was about it seemed like you know you should adopt my way of seeing things and later as we began to you know continue and it became very clear that we had no interest in adopting this way of of seeing things we were very you know I was very uh, standoffish let's say then she just sort of kept going as though to say well it's okay for me this is the way I should be right yeah, and so I, I think coming back, it's it's dangerous because oftentimes what we're doing is we're using these as signs to validate things that they may or may not be associated with, right? Whereas when you say you have a conversation with someone that is someone you've never known in a place that you wouldn't expect to have a conversation and in a setting where you wouldn't expect to talk about, let's say you're talking about Christianity, is God involved in that? Is God... Is there some sort of involvement? My guess would be more yes than no. I, I, I can't be definitive about that. But in a certain sense, I don't have to, right? You know, if that same person who had that conversation was to say something like, well, now God was involved in this. And so what I think we all should be doing is we all should be going to this particular grocery store. And we should be buying our groceries there. And before we go, we should have two or three of us pray. We should lay out a schedule. Now, once you start doing that, now you see what you're doing? You're deriving like a religion. certain... Yeah, but, but again, those are purpose and value. You're, you're attributing a certain purpose to what's going on, and therefore you're drawing a certain value out of it. Like if God really only shows up at this one grocery store, John, then we should all be doing this, right? It just makes sense. I'm totally on board with that. Totally. But you can't, you know, you're going to have to, I don't think you're going to convince me that God only shows up at this one grocery store. But this is where it goes wrong. This is where experience or my interpretation of what's happened begins to create or try to promote a certain value attached to that situation that that situation cannot in itself bear. So we've talked about all the ways that this has bad results. What's mm -hmm. the opposite? Well... I think the opposite is that despite the fact that I don't have certainty, you know, I can't say on this date at this time, da, 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 God showed up and this is exactly what happened and this is exactly what, you know, God did and, and this is exactly what I should understand out of that and this is exactly what you, John, as I'm talking to you, should take away from this. I can't do any of that stuff, Right? But I think the positive side is that we 
in my view, what I'm arguing for is that if we're more attentive to, first of all, what is experienced generally? Second of all, what are some of the important criteria or qualifications relevant to exceptional experiences, experiences of God? Then I think we're able to go through and take a third step or take a third approach, and this is the, the piece that I was mentioning earlier, such that we can evaluate experiences on a number of levels and draw some really valuable understandings and conclusions from them. So, you know, I've talked a number of times about uh, one of my pivotal experiences um, at Swiss Labrie back in 1996. And, um, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, and you kind of just touched on at the beginning of the podcast, what I've tried to do, and what seems to me in some ways to be quite appropriate, is to apply this sort of uh, modified version of speech act theory to exceptional experiences, to what I, you know, to what one deems to be an exceptional experience, and to try to see, well, what does that look like when you do that? And it was fascinating to me because, I mean, I had this experience in 1996 and have been, you know, trying to unpack it for a long time, not necessarily to validate it, but to just you know, unpack it. It's, it's so dense. Real quick, what's, what is speech act theory itself? So speech act theory is a way of understanding how we do things with words. It was developed by a guy named J.L. Austin and uh, another guy, John Austin and John Searle, did some more work with it. I'm just looking at it from Austin's perspective. But it basically looks at um, you know, things we say. Let's say a sentence. I say, go, you know, please close the door. It looks at them on three levels. The first level is the, the actual wording, level one. The, the next level down is the, the sort of the force of those words. So those, that's a, you know, please shut the door. That's a request or shut the door. That's a command, right? And it's a specific request. It's trying to get you to, to shut the door. And then the third level is what's the, what's the actual effect, whether it's, you know, persuading someone or... Uh, informing someone or, you know, scaring someone, doing something like that, right? It has, a, has an, an impact. So what I have tried to do with my own uh, experiences is to uh, look at them on this sort of three-tiered, three-step model, where the first step is, you know, well, what were the actual circumstances that happened? So for me in 1996, I was sitting in my tutor's house at Labrie in Switzerland. And I had just finished itemizing probably the, probably the only thing <laughs> that I hadn't really yet grasped about my, the, the, the sexual abuse that I had experienced from my father. Um, and that was this idea that, you know, if, if he was going to do this, it wasn't just that he didn't love me, because if my own father is going to act that way, then anyone would act that way towards me. Because if my own father, who should love me most, would do this, then you know, how much more easy would it be for somebody else to do this? How much more obvious is it that somebody who doesn't or shouldn't love me as much as my father would do this? Now, did you put God in the same category? As my dad? Yeah, in other words, if God was supposed to love you, God could treat you just as poorly? I think God was more at that point, I saw God more as just somebody who, who didn't, didn't keep up his end of the bargain, you know, who didn't, who didn't, you know, 
you didn't care. You, you, you couldn't do anything here. And then, you know, uh, I think I also saw God as somebody whose justice was ridiculous because God was willing to punish my father. But what, what good is God's just, you know, in other words, you, you, you would think that, that some un- unrepentant uh, child molester um, would get punished. And that, that's something that, you know, most people, most of the time, most places in the world would agree with whether it's punished by God or the authorities or whatever. But what good is that to me? I never wanted that. I never wanted my dad punished. I just wanted my dad to act like my dad. Do things that every other kid does. You know, don't, don't try to have sex with me. Let's go fishing instead. Let's, let's play baseball. Let's hang out. Let's go to a movie. You know? So I think, no, God was more somebody who just, just was a, f- a fantasy, just a, a bit of a sick fantasy too because the real world is much bigger and stronger and scarier than anything that God could offer. So, yeah, so I'm sitting in that, that office uh, having explained this to my, my tutor and, and, you know, my tutor, a very n- non-emotional person and, and not really, to my mind, my impression, a, a very emotionally astute person, you know, very bright, obviously, but not very emotionally engaged or able to engage, seemingly. And, um, you know, he was in tears, and, and he, I've never seen him like that before. And he said, you know, I would, I would love to have you as my son. And, he, and then, uh, after he said that, got up and took down the photos from the wall and began introducing me to the people on the photos who were, in fact, his family. So he was introducing me to my new family as his son. And so that's the kind of the, the first level. That's, those are the words that, was, that were said. That's the context in which they were said, Right. So, in a certain sense, that first level is I was loved as a son. But then as we go deeper, right, the next level, the effect, if you like, or the power or the force is that I was renewed in my ability to see myself as lovable by a father by being loved as a son and by being loved by one that I would wish to have as a father. I mean, we had been in, uh, you know, a good, we had had a, a working relationship for a number of months. I'd been in and out of their home over, you know, very frequently, you know, got to see how he interacted with his, his own sons. Yeah, I spent a lot of time um, in, in various kind of situations with him. The other effect, and I've talked about this before, is that I came out of that office and I realized that this, this huge, massive thing that I've been pushing back against, that in my, intellectually I knew was a lie, and that is that I'm not lovable and that I'm not valuable. And so much of what I had been doing in my life, so much energy had been dedicated to pushing back against this, pushing back against these lies. And it was gone. It was just gone. It was just, you know, and it's logical, right? If I really do think that I've been loved by a father, by someone that I would accept as my father, then the lie that I know intellectually is a lie is also, it has become experientially a lie. I have lived through that thing being undone. And that I would say on that second level, that amounts to healing. That thing in me was healed, that brokenness. And there was a degree of transformation. And that transformation is ongoing you know, through my life. But its major impact was right then and there. 
even though I would say I didn't, I didn't understand it, you know, not, uh, certainly not fully. And then on the third level, um, I, as I began to just marvel at how incredibly precise in terms of timing and in terms of situation and in terms of relationship, how precise this whole scenario was in that office and me coming to the lowest point I'd ever been at in terms of my uh, realization of the impact of familial abuse and yet going almost instantly to the highest point I'd ever been at. Like it was, it was just this, this, this unbelievably precipitous roller coaster, inexplicable, you know? And I just thought, you know, this, this is more than a human act. This, this thing required, and when I went back to speak to my tutor and I asked him, I said, you know, what did you, were you aware of what you were seeing? Were you, were you thinking about what the impact might have been? Were you, were you, you know, conjecturing and, and estimating and on all of this? And I wasn't thinking it wasn't sincere. I was just thinking, you know, what was going on in his head? None of that was going on in his head. No, he had no idea. And I explained the impact and I explained, I explained what I just explained about, you know, being loved by another father and, and how that reversed that lie and was really uh, a mending in me, a healing in me. He had no idea about that. And so out of that, what I began to understand is that this specific act required some sort of, uh, something bearing it up from beneath, almost something subtending it in a way that I was known more truly than I know myself. And yet I was loved more deeply than I love myself. And out of this, I've come to understand and believe, I guess, that truth and love, love and truth, are co-central to the Christian God and co-central to what it is for human beings to thrive. So at these three different levels, right, what actually was said and took place, what the effect was, and what the deeper understanding was, these are some things that I would expect to be borne out when it comes to exceptional experiences, experiences of God. I'm not trying to judge everything by my experience, but rather to run my experience through these filters and to understand, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't run them through these filters, I, but I came up with these realizations. You know, I've been healed. And, you know, this is about this whole came, this must have come about through some incredible knowledge, some incredibly accurate understanding of who I am, some some remarkably true knowledge and a and a sense of who I am, and 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 a profound love for me. I mean, this was just unbelievably. Tolkien talks about something called you catastrophe, and we know what a catastrophe is. It's terrible, right? You catastrophe is the opposite. It is a sudden and impossible joy never to be repeated but it's there right in front of you it's like you know this this crazy idea that this um little hobbit is, is somehow going to succeed where all of these you know great and and uh spectacular individuals may have failed and succeed against such remarkable odds and i guess that's something of what i would use as a descriptor for my own situation this ridiculous impossibility of this situation and yet there it is 
So I guess what I'm saying is I think that experiences of God, profound experiences of God, will have a density to them that allows them to be filtered in this way, that allows them to be examined and further richness to be displayed. That's my hunch. That's what I'm wagering. That's my argument. And so when people say, you know, this is of God and this thing happened of God and this thing happened of God, my thought again comes back to, well, what are you doing with the purpose and the value in terms of this experience? What is that, what role is that playing? And then I guess if we were to continue on in a conversation and we would get to that point, I would be interested to know, you know, to take this approach, this three-level approach and, and say, okay, so, so what about, what was the impact of this? And what have been the deeper understandings that have come out of this? And I guess I, the last thing I would say too is that this wasn't a situation where I thought to myself, oh, I've got some time on today. I'm going to maybe jot down a, little, a few things about this experience. You know, I, I realize that I have a particular personality, as everyone does, and mine is probably more inclined towards, you know, research and investigation. So that's something that comes easier to me. But there is no way on this earth that I could have possibly not delved into this because it was so powerful and so transformative and you know literally i think my explanation of why i'm a christian is that i believe that the christian god is real and true and that i have fallen in love with this god through particularly this 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 experience and seeing you know over time this experience being validated, being, uh, you know, examined and filtered in various different ways as I've looked at it. But I guess what I'm trying to say is it's compelling. And I think that there's always going to be something extremely compelling about any type of uh, encounter or engagement with God. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity Podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or request to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.